Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have a very special guest. Her name is Allison Hong Merrill, and she's a Taiwanese immigrant and the author of the award-winning memoir, 99 Fire Hoops. She believes that life is a summary of choices, and if you absolutely have to be obsessed with something, Choose to be obsessed with love and kindness. Welcome, Ellison. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Laika. It's such a great honor to be here. Now, you were born and raised in Taiwan. What's it like to grow up in a Chinese culture? So my personal experience with Chinese culture growing up in Taiwan is that women and girls were expected to always silently wait for permission from men to act or to speak. And that that culture especially was very heavily um, practiced in my family. When I was about five years old, I'm not sure if I was five or four, but I was in, I was, I was before, uh, that was before I entered first grade. So let's say five, I was five. For Chinese New Year that year, my family went to my paternal grandmother's house to celebrate Chinese New Year. And at that time, my grandfather had already passed away. And so my grandmother was the matriarch of the family, right? And so we were in her house and my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, we were all there. And my aunt and my my mother, the women in the family, went immediately to the kitchen to prepare the Chinese New Year feast. And the men, meaning my father and my uncles and boy cousins, they were in the living room watching TV and playing games, right? And so the women would spend hours in the kitchen working in the heat because, you know, uh, Taiwan is a tropical island, very humid, very hot. And there was no AC at the time in the 70s. And so it was hot and humid in the kitchen. So women were working hot, uh, working hard in the hot environment and, you know, sweating. And then when the feast was ready, when dinner was ready, men and boy cousins will come into the kitchen and they will sit at the table enjoying the meal. And the women who have worked for hours so hard to prepare the meal, they would go out of the house. They would go out of the um, the back door through the kitchen, right? They would go and squat in the line against the kitchen wall on the outside. And they would just wait. And girls, of course, girls and women, we, we left the house and squatted outside and waiting for men 
and boys to finish eating so we could have their leftovers. And my grandmother at the time, she was in her 70s, and she said this. She said, when I turn 80, I am going to ask the men, meaning her sons, for permission to sit at the table with them and that she will be able to enjoy the meal um, with the men because she had been eating leftovers her entire life. And so that struck me really hard. And I still remember it. You know, I, I was so young at the time, but I remember that was just what women did. Women were supposed to just wait. And when men were done eating, they would come out and tell us, oh, we're done. You guys can go and have leftovers, you know. And, okay, we were expected to live that kind of life, but that kind of lifestyle did not did not work for me. I I did not like it because as a child, right, I was very curious and had questions. And I wanted to know why is it that my cousins, even younger than me, those those boy cousins, they got to sit with the men and enjoy the meal. Why is it I had to wait? Right. But then I learned it's that's the culture. For sure. Uh, you know, different cultures have certainly different things, and that does not seem fair to a North American. That does not seem fair for somebody who lives in a culture like I do. So mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly can see where you're coming from. Now, tell me, when did you emigrate to the United States? So I came to the United States when I was 22 years old. And at the time... Um, so the, a little backstory there, I grew up in Taiwan and in a Buddhist environment, meaning my, my family were, uh, we were self-proclaimed Buddhists, even though we were not practicing Buddhism in our home. Right. So, uh, when I was 13 years old, my father met two missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they started to come to my family home to teach us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I was 15 years old, I was baptized into the church. And when I was 21 years old, I served a mission for the church. And after my service, I came to the U.S. to continue my studies um, in Texas. And I also at the time had a uh, um, I call him my American boyfriend. And so we got married. It was in Texas. And my English was really bad at the time. It was probably at a three-year-old proficiency. It was really, really bad. And my husband, my then husband, he was fluent in Mandarin Chinese. So I depended heavily heavily on him as my mouthpiece and then he will interpret for me and he will speak for me. And as a result, he would tell me in Chinese what happened, right? So he will give me a brief summary of the conversation he had with people. And then he would tell me what happened and then he would tell me what to do. And so you see the pattern continued even after I left Taiwan I came to America. I married this American man, but I continue to wait for him to tell me what to do. 
because I did not understand the language, right? So even though it wasn't, he wasn't imposing the same Chinese culture on me, it just turned out to be that way. Like I had to always wait for him to tell me, okay, it's time to go. Okay, it's time to go see the doctor. It's time to go shopping. It's time to go to school like that, you know? So he would be the decision maker and I'll be the follower. I would just follow instruction. And I was a perfect follower, really. I would do everything he told me to, and I would do it perfectly. And so it wasn't really a problem until it became a problem. (laughs) Now, I understand that marriage eventually fell apart Mm -hmm. and your first husband abandoned you in Texas, leaving you homeless, penniless, and voiceless. How did you overcome those changes? Yeah, it was very difficult at the time because nobody grew up, you know, as a child, nobody grew up thinking when I grow up, I'm going to immigrate to a foreign country where I don't speak the language and get abandoned and become homeless. And, you know, nobody ever had that kind of dream. So I didn't have that kind of vision either. So when that happened in Texas, I was, of course, unprepared and shocked and I was um, I was hopeless and helpless. And in that moment, it really was the dual die moment. Like, what do you do? What do you do? You're on your own. And like I said earlier, I did not speak the language. I had depended on my ex-husband so heavily to speak for me. I didn't know how to speak for myself. I didn't know how to ask for help. Right. And I had no family in Texas. He took when my ex-husband abandoned me, it was a complete shock to me. I didn't know he had planned this, right? And so I went back to that. What happened was that uh, that day, it was a week before American Thanksgiving. So it was in late November. And I went back to our apartment. And when I got back, I opened the, the apartment door and reached into the living room wall to turn on the lights the light switch did not work and the entire apartment was completely dark and empty. There was nothing. And so I, I had to feel my way into the apartment because it was so dark. Right. And I could not feel any furniture. There was nothing in there. And, and that's when I realized, Oh, he had moved out. He moved out. How could he move out? You know, but he did. And he took all the money with him. He cut off all the utilities and cut off in um took everything right and so i knew in that moment i had to speak for myself so i decided that there's no more waiting for men's permission to speak there's no more waiting for men's permission and instruction of how to live my life so i went to the apartment manager's office and i told her with my very very broken English, the three-year-old vocabulary, and told her that I wanted to stay. And I asked her for a week. I said, give me a week. I will, I will find help. Just one week. And she, I think she had compassion, or maybe she sensed something was wrong, like seriously wrong. And, and that she was the, the person in that moment who could help make that situation better for me a little bit, you know, just a little bit better for me. And so she said, okay, well, you stay. So I stayed and I 
when so this was back in 1996 before cell phones right so i didn't have a cell phone so i went to my neighbor's house next door and i asked him to let me borrow his phone to call the local bishop in the church and then i you know continued to gain confidence as i asked for help from one person to the next because This is the thing. I realized at that moment I understood. I didn't want to stay in that place. I didn't want to stay in the place of misery, of being abandoned, of being homeless, you know. And I wanted to be in a better place. And in order for me to get to a better place, I had to make conscious choice, one right choice at a time. So I thought, okay, right now I'll make that one right choice. That is to call the bishop. And after I call the bishop, what is the next right thing? So I had to keep doing that every day. I asked myself, what is the one right choice I could make today to get me closer to the place I wanted to be? And that's how I got out of it. With the help of the church members, with the help of the bishop in the church, Of course, all those kind people who were so willing to help. You know, there is a book out right now, and the book is called Ask, A-S-K. And it's written by Mark Victor Hansen and his wife, Crystal Hansen. And it's based on their experience on how people get forward. And, you know, Mark Victor Hansen was one of the co-authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm-hmm. Yes, one of the best read books in the whole world, and his current book is called "Ask." And you found the right way to get out of your situation, and that was to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, asking, and that's another thing. I think that's the product of giving yourself permission. I feel because I was not used to giving myself permission to act or to speak. I had always been conditioned to wait for men because men are wise, men are powerful, men are authoritative, and men are decision makers. And my job and my role in life is to let them take care of me. You know, let them tell me when or what to do. And so, when I was abandoned in Texas, I realized there's no more men in my life. Right, my dad had disowned me. Oh, I forgot to say, my father disowned me because when I was 21 years old, I wanted to serve a mission for the church, and he was really upset about that choice. So he disowned me, and I could not go back to Taiwan because I had no family, and so I was left alone in Texas because my. Ex-husband abandoned me, right? And so there was no more men in my life to tell me what to do. I had to be in control and be in charge of my own life. So hey, I had to give myself permission, and that's when I started the habit or the the ritual of oh, okay. So I signed a permission slip with my own name. And it's a pre-signed permission slip that I can use anytime I want or anytime I need to do whatever is needed 
to take care of myself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, because there was no men in my life anymore, right? At that moment. And so I became the the boss of myself. You right? learned you learned, Allison, to draw on yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a very powerful place. Now you've written a book, and the book has a very interesting title called 99 Fire Hoops. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so 99, the number 99 in Chinese culture is a metaphor for eternity. And fire hoops, you know, when when I think of a fire hoop, I think of a circus where you have a lion that jumps through a fire hoop. And so a fire hoop is a metaphor for obstacles, for challenge. And 99 fire hoops is eternal, like forever challenges. And that's what life... I like Neil Bailey calling it. That's Sorry. what... Go ahead. Go ahead. That's what life felt like to me when I was in the middle of all these challenges of being disowned by my father, being abandoned by my American husband, and being homeless voiceless, familyless, you know, all those challenges that just kept piling up. And I feel like I was forced or I was made to jump through endless challenges, endless fire hoops. And the thing is, when you're in the middle of huge challenges in your life, it's very difficult to see the the light at the end of the tunnel that everybody tells you, oh, you, you know, just hang on. You will see the light at the end of the tunnel. But it was really hard for me to see that light and to have that hope when I was in the middle of it. Right. But now I'm, I'm done jumping through the, the fire hoops, meaning, you know, now my, I have arrived in the place where I can safely say, this is the better place I wanted to be. 25, 26 years ago when I was abandoned in Texas and I thought I want to be in a better place. I am now in that better place. And I look back and I realized all the fire hoops I have jumped through had helped build me, build my characters and build this compassion I have for people who are struggling. You know, I'm no longer that person who's like, well, just What's your problem? Why can't you just stand up? Well, some people can't. Some people, the way they stand up is if you extend a hand to help them, right? Like back in the days when I needed help from the bishop and from the church members, I could not stand up without their help. And so now I understand that we can be that that hand. We can be that kind person to help people who are struggling, who are jumping through fire hoops. I, I think that is so important uh, to, to realize that, you know, the obstacles that get in our way are really the seeds which plant us to be stronger trees. You know, it really makes us a stronger person to go through those things. So although we hate them at the time, no one wants to go through these these awful times in our life. They truly make us what we are when we get through them. Exactly. And I agree with you 100%. I couldn't have said it better. So that's exactly what 
exactly what you just said. Now, Allison, this show is called How to Live a Fantastic Life Show. So I'm going to ask you on a personal basis, how do you live a fantastic life? Um, I So I have this belief. I believe that we all have the power of choice. Like I said, life is a summary of choices. And this power of choice, we all have it. And so we can use it. And this, this is how I live a fantastic life, is to choose for myself the kind of person I want to be and the kind of life I want to live. And essentially, I choose to create my own path. So, like I said earlier, Chinese culture um, or the expectation for women to wait for permission from men, that did not work for me. So I chose to break that cultural belief and to give myself permission to do what works for me. Right. And so we can choose to be brave. We can choose to be kind. We can choose to be loving. Ultimately, we get to choose for ourselves how to live a fantastic life, right? And so my way might be different, might look different than the person next to me, but we all need to choose what works for us. And for me, it's to give myself permission. That's huge. Now, how do you recommend others live a fantastic life? Well, I will recommend to um, everyone to think about this. It's a very simple truth. There's a piece of you, there's a piece of me that has no size, no weight, no color, no shape, but it has infinite dignity and value, and that is your soul. And each individual has it. Rich people don't have it more than poor people, and old people don't have it more than young people. Men don't have it more than women, which means all human beings Males and females are all beloved sons and daughters of a very loving God. And if we can understand and accept that very simple truth, then we will understand the worth of our souls are equally great. And having that understanding, then there will be, there will be no more sexism or ageism or racism, or any kind of those things that are hurting our society. Because we will understand every person you see has infinite great worth of a soul, just like you. And so we will treat each other with love and kindness. And so that's what I will recommend everyone to try to think about it and maybe live with it and in turn to have a fantastic life. You know, that's beautiful, Elson, as you are. You know, those kind words, those beautiful words show what a kind, gentle soul you are. Now, Allison, how can people find out more about you and how can they get a copy of your book? So you can find me on my website. It's my name, Allison homemerrill.com and so visit my website and i have links to different places where you can order my book because i know that not everybody likes to uh, buy books on amazon they want to buy it on i don't know maybe barnes and noble and other places i have links on my website you know for you to choose 
And you can also email me if you would like to contact me. I have a contact form and I read and respond to every email or sign up for my monthly email. I send out very, very short email every month to stay in touch with my audience. And in my email, I share Chinese culture, sometimes like Chinese superstitions, you know, just fun facts that people don't really learn in textbooks about Chinese culture. I like to share that with my audience. And so sign up and we can stay in touch. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Allison. It was a lot of fun to have you on my show. I, I loved what you had to say for everybody. And I hope everybody pay, takes that to heart. Thank you so much, Dr. Laika. It's such, such a great honor and pleasure chatting with you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here as well. We really appreciate you. And if we can be of further help, please check with my website, Dr. D-R-A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A.com. I look to serve you further. Bye for now. That's a wrap, Allison. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyka. This is so awesome. You're always, always such a great light. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, this will take a couple of weeks to edit and then it'll get out on the site. And Tammy will keep you informed of the next sites, the next steps. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Have a great day. You too. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.